Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Luke is the one that brings out the fullness of the humanity of Christ more than any other gospel writer. We find the overall focus of Luke actually being on that perfect humanity of Christ. The goal is really clear all throughout his writings. More than any other gospel account, Luke gives that most complete record of our Savior's birth and of his childhood. As a matter of fact, he takes two chapters out of his book dealing with the birth and the early childhood of Christ. Trying to wrap our heads around certain theological realities can be a struggle to say the least. One of these struggles is trying to fully understand the incarnation of Christ. The idea of God becoming man, yet remaining fully God, is a theological conundrum that's puzzled theologians for centuries. In today's edition of The Open Word, Pastor David discusses one of Luke's primary focuses of his gospel account. In our study, we learn how the Gospel of Luke helps us to better understand the humanity of Christ. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, All an Intro to Luke. desires, as he says here, to set in order his own narrative of those things that have been fulfilled among us. He's setting out to write of the life and the ministry of Christ. He's writing the greatest story that was ever told. Some of you might remember that movie. It was like way back in the 60s. Some of you weren't alive there, I, I understand that, but uh, I was just a baby myself. But uh, the, a, a huge, epic movie of the life of Christ. Major motion picture. It was about three hours long, it was huge. Do you know that most of it was filmed in the Southwest here? It was filmed in Arizona and New Mexico and Nevada and California. Uh, while they were filming even a portion of the book of John, they were doing it uh, in uh, Glen Canyon, and the Glen Canyon Dam project to build the dam up there actually was postponed until they finished the filming that was there. It was a huge film. Why? Because it is the greatest story ever told. And Luke, and the detail and all that he gives us, is one that we can continue to go back to and see and research, again, the life of Christ. In the process of these things, Luke takes into account the testimony of eyewitnesses of the time. Most of the apostles were still alive at that time. He would have the opportunity to speak to these men who had walked and ministered with Christ for those three and a half years. As I said earlier, Mary, the mother of Jesus, may have been alive still at that time. She would have probably been in her late 70s or 80s. 
But to be able to go and speak to her about those events of those early chapters in Luke and all the detail that he gives us, it just seems logical that that probably came right from the mouth of Mary, if not from John. There were many who were still alive who had walked and talked with the Lord Jesus, who had sat under his teachings, probably on multiple occasions that Luke could go and speak to and glean from them. And there was no doubt that there were those who had been healed, those who had been delivered by the ministry of Jesus that were still living at that time that Luke could glean from their stories and the ministry that Christ did in their lives. All of these together would have been the ones who, as Luke writes here, from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. They delivered them to us. And Luke went after their story. As we get into the writing, we understand that that on the surface, again, it was written to one man. But we also see, as his writing goes on, that he has this much wider audience in mind. It's very clear that his writing is directed to a Gentile reader and the ones who would not be familiar with the area of Judea. He writes and he takes great effort to be able to explain, to be able to to make clear to the readers some of the following things. He writes that Capernaum is a city of Galilee. Chapter 4, verse 31, he says, Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching on the Sabbaths. Well, if you were local in that area, you would know. If you grew up in Casa Grande, you would know exactly where Eloy is, right? But if you're new here, you might have absolutely no clue where Eloy is. He's writing to somebody who's not familiar with the area. He writes and says in chapter 8, verse 26, Then Jesus and his disciples sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite of Galilee, Well, of course, everybody knows where the country of the Gadarenes is. It's right next to that eastern shore of Galilee. All of us that have lived here forever, we know that. Just like those of us that have been here for a long time know that Stanfield is about, you know, uh, eight miles to the west of us here. But if you're brand new here, you wouldn't know. He's writing to an audience that's not familiar with the area. He writes later in his gospel account in chapter 24, he says, Now behold, two of the disciples, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. Well, if you've lived in this area, you know how far it is to uh, Arizona City. There's no doubt in your mind. I've been there many times. But if you're not familiar with this area, you don't know. He says seven miles from Jerusalem. All of these, again, they would be known to the Jew and they would even be known to the Gentile that lived in that area. Luke is writing to a foreign audience. Undoubtedly, he's writing for his word to go beyond the borders of Israel. His intent was, I believe, to reach that Roman culture, to reach that Greek culture that he grew up in. And again, as I said, he was most likely born in Antioch, up in the area of Syria, and living up in the area of what's now Turkey. And it appears that Luke, more than any other of the gospel writers, makes mention of the world, outside of Judaism, the people that lived and existed outside of Judaism. It's Luke's account that gives us the angelic message when the angels saw met with the shepherds on the hills there of Galilee. They said that they bring good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the Jews. That's not what they said, is it? 
They said, which will be to what? All people, all people, going beyond Judaism. It's Luke that records the words of Simeon there in the temple as the baby Jesus is being dedicated, and as Simeon, again, declaring that as Messiah, Jesus would be a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. That's nothing that a Jew wants to hear. They're they're not interested in bringing light to the Gentiles. We want the blessings of God ourselves. Too bad about you being a Gentile, okay? But Luke brings out that fact that that was the blessing that was placed on Jesus. It's Luke's record, and only Luke's record, that brings to remembrance God's love and his interest to the Gentiles in such a way. Even from the Old Testament time frame, it's Luke that mentions Jesus's reference to the ministry of Elijah as Elijah ministered to the widow of Zarephath, a Gentile woman. It's Luke that makes mention of Jesus's reference to Elisha as Elisha ministers to Naaman the Syrian. Interesting that it's only Luke that brings those things out. And it's only Luke that gives us the story of the good Samaritan. You've got to understand, for the Jew, there was no good Samaritan, okay? I don't care how nice of a guy you are, there is no such thing as a good Samaritan. Samaritans to them, they were dogs, they were, they were pigs. They, they did not want to deal with them at all. As a matter of fact, they went way out of their way whenever traveling to make sure that they didn't set foot in the territory of the Samaritans. And yet Luke is the one that brings out that story. Luke is the one that brings out the fullness of the humanity of Christ more than any other gospel writer. We find the overall focus of Luke actually being on that perfect humanity of Christ. The goal is really clear all throughout his writings. More than any other gospel account, Luke gives that most complete record of our Savior's birth and of his childhood. As a matter of fact, he takes two chapters out of his book dealing with the birth and the early childhood of Christ. As a historian, Luke traces Christ's lineage backwards. He goes, yes, as the supposed son of Joseph. But then he goes on through the lineage and he touches on the fact, yes, he came through David and he goes on, yes, he came through Judah and yes, he goes on, he came through Abraham. He goes on, he goes all the way through Noah down to Adam, the son of God. Again, bringing out the, demonstration that Jesus's lineage touches with both Israel and as, as well as all of mankind because we see both the good and the bad. We see the saint and the sinner in the lineage that Luke gives us. In Luke, the humanity of Jesus is declared through all of the details and the aspects of the human needs that Christ had and the human emotions that he expressed during his ministry. In Luke chapter 8 is where we read about Jesus asleep in the bottom of the boat. You remember that story. They're, they're out on the Sea of Galilee and everything's going well. And Jesus said, look, I'm really tired. I, it's been a tough day of ministry. I'm going to go catch a nap down here. He goes down to the boat. He goes to sleep. And the storm rages. And these fishermen, as well as the other disciples, they panic. They say, oh, Lord, Lord, come, wake up, wake up. Don't, don't you understand? We're perishing here. Don't you care about us? Jesus understood. He, his life was in the hands of God. 
and whatever came about. His life was in the hands of God. He wasn't going to panic about this. And so what did he do, church? He gets up and says, ah, peace be still. He stormed, chill out for a minute. And then he looks at the disciples and says, oh, you guys of little faith. Don't you understand that God is in control of your life? It's in Luke that we read in chapter 19 of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. His name Jesus was described by the angel. You will call him Jesus because he came to save his people, save his people, and yet his people rejected him. And just as we looked a couple of weeks ago on Palm Sunday as Jesus entering into Jerusalem, it says he wept over Jerusalem. He said that, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that, that kill the prophets. How often I would have like a mother hen gathered you under my arms. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because he knew the destruction that was going to happen to them because of their rejection of the Savior. Luke tells us about the sweating of the great drops of blood there in the Garden of Gethsemane. You need to understand that in the humanity of Christ, there was great stress at that point in time because he knew what was about to take place. Why did he have peace in the storm in the boat? Because he knew that it wasn't his time yet. Because he knew that it wasn't his time yet, he could relax and he could rest at ease regardless of what's going on. But because he also knew that his time had come, that was the reason that he came to Jerusalem at that point in time. That was the reason he knew that was the last meal he was going to be able to share with those disciples. And he came there in that garden and began praying. And the intensity of his prayers, because of his humanity, says that he sweat great drops of blood. The humanity of Christ. Luke also tells us that there was a great preeminence of prayer in the life of Christ. And although Jesus remained 100% divine, he was also 100% human. And it was through his humanity that he conversed with the Father, both in private as well as in public prayer. Of the 15 prayers that we have recorded within the gospel accounts, those that are recorded that we know of, 11 of them are found in the Gospel of Luke. That doesn't mean that Jesus only prayed 15 times. That's just the recordings that we have. The importance of getting away. And you, you, you know as you read the story, he would come to time and says, look, you guys leave. I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray for a while. I'll catch up with you later. We read the gospel accounts and speaks of Jesus rising well before daylight. Why? In order that he might converse with the Father. The humanity of Christ. You think, well, he's 100% divine. Wouldn't he just know? No, because in his humanity, he also conversed with God in the same way that you and I are called to do. He had that need to commune with the Father. So if he had that need, being 100% divine as well as 100% human, what do you think we have within our lives? A much greater need to commune with the Father on a regular basis. Luke shows us, again, that interaction of Jesus with the common people. He gives us more parables than any other gospel writer. Gives us 28 parables in all. And as far as the miracles listed, uh, in, in all of the gospel records, there, there's 37 different parables that Jesus performed during his ministry. Luke gives us 24 of them, including six that are unique only to Luke. 
Now, if we're to understand all this completely, I, I, I think that we would see that Luke wrote these accounts of the life and the ministry of Jesus, writing to a non-Jewish audience, writing to a common people, writing in a way that I believe shows that compassion of God from and through Christ for all people, recognizing that all are sinners, all are in need of a Savior. Luke describes for us the perfect sacrifice for the imperfection of sinful man. And he shows us that continual compassion, that continual desire of God to have relationship with humanity. And that's so easy to see within that life and that ministry of Christ. I want to close with just a couple of key verses within the message of Luke. Turn with me, if you would, there in Luke to chapter 9. One of the main teachings of Christ. Chapter 9, and we're going to go down to verse 23. Jesus speaking there here. He says, and then he said to them all, Jesus speaking to all of those that were following him. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Let me stop right there. How much easy believism do you see in that? Oh, I love Jesus. I'm just, I just love God. And on you go and you live your life any way you want to live. You are either living in a delusion or you are outright lying. Lying to yourself, lying to God, lying to those that are around you. Because you can't live any way that you want to unless your want to has been totally changed by the power of God. And what you want to do is to live your life in honor and glory of Christ. Jesus wasn't one that just gathered in the masses as much as he could so that, again, the statistics for his ministry look so good in all the records. No. As a matter of fact, more often than not, you read Jesus' teachings, and, and, and they're hard. They're tough. And he says, you know what? You desire to come after me? You need to deny yourself. You need to take up, in other words, you, you, you need to die daily to your own self. And then you need to follow me. And what do I mean by follow me? Does that mean just follow along like a, like a puppy? No, that means follow the teachings that I'm giving. Follow the lifestyle that I'm living. You need to follow me if you are going to be one of my disciples. In verse 24, he goes on. He says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. You want to live your life your way? You want to be a believer in Christ yet live your life your way? You know what? Jesus says you're going to lose them both. You're not going to be a real follower of Jesus if you continue to live your life your way. That's, that's the stark reality of what Christianity is really and truly all about. You desire to live your life. You desire to save your life. You know what? You're going to lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life here in this place, if you're willing to lose your life for his sake, he says, then you'll save it. Verse 25, for what's it going to profit us? If you gain the whole world, and yet you yourself are destroyed or lost. Cares, the things, the interests, the desires, the passions, the pulls of the flesh and of the world, 
Beloved, they're on every one of us in one form or fashion. There's not a one of us that are exempt from that. But you know what? It's our dedication, our desire for Christ. That empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our life as we surrender to Him, die daily to Him, that allows us to be able to have that victory over those things. In order that our lives might be lost here in order that we might gain there. Not my will, but thy will be done. Have you ever considered the power of this particular statement in reference to your own personal life? Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Die daily. Follow me. Lose your life. What's it going to profit you to gain here if you lose at the end? How does that fit in reference to your own personal life this morning? We don't know what Luke's life was like before he became a believer in Christ. And, but yet we do know what his life became as he followed the Lord through those final years. We know that, again, the influence that he has on the church now because of the writing of the Gospel of Luke and the, and the book of Acts. Why? Because he was willing to lose himself. As you look at the man Luke, you see a well-educated man, well-versed man, someone able to write clearly and distinctly, someone able to do great research and goes into great detail, someone who was spoken of as a physician. He had great training. And in that Greek culture, he could have gone far. But you know what? He determined in his life, I'd rather follow Jesus than the culture and the plans of this world. What about in your life? Have you come to a point and place in your life you said, you know what? I might would like to do that. I might would like to do that. But Lord, what, do, what would you have me to do? Maybe God does want you to be a doctor because we, Lord knows we need more Christian doctors. Whatever, whatever that case may be. But is it God's plan and is it God's choice and is it God's direction in your life or is it just something that you choose? How old do you have to be for your life to really make an impact for the things of Christ? Is there ever a time when you're too young or too old to make an impact for Christ? I don't believe that there is. I believe that as long as the Lord has given you air to breathe and, and keeping that heart going, you can make an impact for Christ in the world that you live in. I honestly believe, as I've been studying this, that Luke had in mind, even as he was writing these things, the culture that he came out of, the people that he loved, the, the place that he was born, even. And he wanted to make sure that whatever he wrote, it was going to be able to speak to them. What about in your life? Does your life speak to the people that are within the circle of your influence? background, social status, talents, abilities. We look and we see, man, Luke had all of that. But maybe you might be here today and say, well, I don't have any of that. And you're thinking that's the excuse to use for not living your life fully for the Savior? No, how much more God can use someone who's totally emptied in order that he might fill us with himself. One other verse, and then we'll close. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I'm going to go ahead and read it, and you can look at it when you get there. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Open our hearts, change us from within. 
can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Small